by the time you hear this podcast, maybe three is company. that song gives you a clue as to what we're talking about probably not <laughs> but you'll find out anyway <laughs> welcome to the by the time you hear this podcast i'm greg i'm ben and we're back with another episode <laughs> we do have a guest <laughs> he was and he's about to he's about to come in but uh um we'll introduce him in just a second um so we are yeah so we're back with another episode and uh, thank you for everyone listening. You can find us at facebook.com slash by the time you hear this. If you want to uh, follow us on Instagram, we're at by the time you hear this with the letter U instead of the word U. Why? Because we're urban. Exactly. <laughs> and that is also the same spelling for our email by the time you hear this at gmail.com. So we do have a guest. Um, and uh, well, you know. Uh, ben, why don't you introduce him? <laughs> this... <laughs> his name is Matthew Vaughn. Well, no, I can't give out his full government. Just Matt Graff. He goes by Matt Graff. You want to say hi, Matt? Uh, hello. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've uh, actually changed scenery for this episode. We're in um, our spare bedroom. <laughs> the spare bedroom studio. So, uh, Matt, thank you for joining us. And You're welcome. <laughs> You're doing that late at like it's a <laughs> early evening AM radio show. <laughs> like that sketch on SNL. 
so um, as we uh, normally uh, do our show, we have some music news and notes that we like to discuss. So um, I, I want to get this out of the way um, because it, I, it's, I guess it's just going to be a running gag on our show anytime that this person comes up. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, <laughs> and yeah. of course, we are talking about Taylor Swift. So uh, Ben, why is Taylor being mentioned <laughs> on our podcast this time? <laughs> well, for one, because she's awesome, except for 1989, but I forgive her. I disagree. Yeah, Matt disagrees, but well, that's an you, you like 1989? I do, but I also don't like her earlier stuff. When when it was when it was country, ish, ish, yeah, yeah, yeah. like pretty much everything before that. <laughs> yeah, you don't like diametrically opposed. <laughs> um, but Taylor Swift and Drake. Now I don't know; it hasn't been made official yet. I don't think, but Drake and Taylor Swift might be an item. And I gotta say, this is uh, this is interesting. <laughs> I don't know if it's interesting, good or bad, but it's interesting. I hope it's for real. It what's what's interesting to me about it is is Drake trying to keep up with Kanye and Jay Z? Like they have the he has to have a um, a celebrity significant other. Like it didn't work out with Rihanna because he was the only one in that relationship. <laughs> I was gonna say like, what do you mean it didn't work out? Like it never happened. Like he was just. It, well, for Rihanna, like I said, it was like it was whatever. But for him, it was, you know. Yeah, it was just yeah. him. He was just yeah. He was the only one in the relationship. She she probably used him for hits, <laughs> no pun intended. But like she used him for like hit music, I should say instead. Um, so yeah, maybe he's trying to follow in the footsteps. Isn't he cool with Kanye? Like, how's that gonna work? Like she she, yeah. How's that gonna work? <laughs> no, I didn't even think about that. Well, there's a song that Taylor could write. <laughs> like he can't really, like you know, like Kanye can't call him up and like, "Hey, we're having Thanksgiving. You should bring." Well, they're doing an album together. <laughs> yeah, so how's that gonna work? It's like, don't bring Taylor. She's not invited. Like, but that's my girl, man. And like, I don't think, like, I really think Kanye is that type of guy to be like, I don't care if y'all are together. You can't bring her. Um, but if they are dating as well, I would like to hear them in the style of Jay Z. And Beyonce, I like to hear them do a song together. Um, of course, you know, with Jay-Z and Beyonce doing with the Bonnie and Clyde. And then when um, Beyonce's first album came out, they did Crazy in Love and he had a verse on it. Get a Taylor Swift song with a Drake verse on it. Or Drake can sing the hook or he can just sing the song with her and it can be like an 80s style duet and they just both sing a verse. I don't know. I don't care. I just want this to happen. I want this to happen now. I'd rather him sing on it than rap on it. I would, yeah, like either either or works for me. If he wants to sing on it, yeah, he sings on everything else. I mean, yeah. So. What's uh, I saw an article. Uh, well, th- the reason why this sounds like a, it must be a big deal if the if USA Today is <laughs> is writing about it. <laughs> TMZ, well, you know, yeah, it's whatever. Course. They're 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 always looking for something. But with USA Today. Whoever that the editor, the assignment editor at USA Today says, <laughs> Drake and Taylor are dating. Let's uh, let's look into that. Um, it must be a big deal. Yeah, well, I mean, slow day in news. You've got you know the one of the biggest pop artists in the world. I mean, depends on how you look at it. Some people say Beyonce is bigger. I think Taylor's bigger because she has like a bigger audience. Um, and then you have the the undisputed biggest rapper 
um, slash one of the biggest pop stars, one of the biggest pop stars in the world, but you know, definitely the biggest rapper in the game getting together. Um, so I think that's kind of interesting. I think that's, it's a different dynamic. And then on top of that, like you wouldn't really expect Taylor Swift to date a rapper. Like of all people, like granted, I know she was in the video. She was in that one song, not song, the commercial, you know, running to jump man, which is a Drake track foreshadowing. Um, but like, I just wouldn't see her with a rapper. I don't know who I'd see her with, but I just, I wouldn't see her with a rapper. And if she were to get with a rapper though, Drake's safe enough. Like he's, <laughs> he's safe enough. I mean, he's, you yeah. know, Drake probably don't carry guns. Let's just be real. Drake's never been in a gang. I'm sure he's never sold dope. He came from Degrassi, you know? He's Canadian. There's no way he sold dope. Yeah. He, he came from Degrassi. He's safe. Well, maybe she was, maybe her friends told her she needs to date uh, instead of a nice I don't know where Calvin Harris is from. I don't know if it's from Scotland. He's from Scotland. Mm -hmm. Okay. Instead of dating a nice Scottish boy, she should date a nice Canadian boy. (laughs) They used to play a basketball player in a wheelchair on a TV show. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I knew he was from the show. I didn't know that was his character. Yeah. Wheelchair. Yeah. Uh Well, that wasn't the official name. (laughs) (laughs) His character, like the story arc of his character. Okay. He was a star basketball player and then he got shot. And then he ended up being in a wheelchair. Got shot. Like, why? Because there was. <laughs> I don't watch the show, so Greg knows all I, this. I did watch the He's show. He's the connoisseur. So uh, there was a bully. There, well, there was a, a a kid that went to their school named Rick. And Rick started dating this girl. I think her character, I think that was Terry. And he was abusive to Terry. Okay. And one day he. He was arguing with her and he pushed her. They were outside and she fell back and her head hit a hit a huge rock. So she had some a significant brain injury. She didn't die, but she was never the same. She was never the same, of <laughs> course. <laughs> and everyone knows Rick did it, and everyone knew that she that he was being abusive towards her, but she wouldn't leave him because she was in love and it's high school and all that. So Rick goes away to get help or whatever. And then he actually comes back to that school. Terry's no longer at the school, but he comes back to school and everyone just kind of lashes out at him because he was so abusive to her. So everyone starts bullying him and Jimmy, which is Drake's character uh, was bullying him. And then for some like TV trivia show or something, they're on the same team and because like Rick's actually really smart and then Jimmy and Rick become friends and they're cool and everything. But then, you know, there's still some other people who are mad at him. So, um, on the T when they're taping the, the TV trivia show and, um, Rick gets the final question, right. And then their team wins. But what two people have set up is for when he, he'll come center stage and then they'll like tar and feather him. Okay. Whoa! <laughs> in front of the whole school, the whole audience, or wherever. So he gets upset, and like Jimmy was bullying Rick, but he's not bullying Rick anymore. But Rick thinks that Jimmy was in on it. So, oh, so uh, Rick walks into school. Classic with, mix up. He's he's holding a book bag with his hand in it, <sighs> and um, nobody. Wants and then he that. walks up to Jimmy. And he's like, hey, I, I, 
He's like, I'm sorry, man. I, I don't know what those guys were thinking. I told them not to do it, you know, but they did it anyway. I don't have anything to do with this. He's like, yes, you did. You had something to do with this. And it's like, what do you, what do you have in the bag? <laughs> <laughs> so, so he pulls out the gun. He pulls out the gun and points it at him, and he's shaking and everything. And Jimmy starts backing up, and other kids were behind him, so they start running. And then he tries to run, and then he gets shot in the back. Damn. All right. Portrait. And that and that's how it became wheelchair Jimmy. Was yeah. he ju- was he just as good? Did he get to play? Did you say he played after the wheelchair? No, I don't think he played anymore. Because uh, yeah. when he first what, what played it, what basketball, basketball in the wheelchair. Well, well, when he like he he was paralyzed and everything, and uh, he was he was a star basketball player at the school. So what his dad tried to do is get him on like the Paralympic team, okay. wheelchair basketball team, but he just wasn't he just wasn't into playing basketball anymore. He was into art, and he be okay. and then towards the very end of his time on the show. He started showing his his rapping prowess. Trying to get that deal. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! All right. <laughs> so yeah, that's a story of Aubrey Graham on Degrassi. Did yeah. <laughs> he go by Drake back then? Did he? he went by Aubrey no, Graham, yeah. Drake. Drake is his given middle name. He was credited as Aubrey Aubrey Graham. Yeah. All right. From the six. <laughs> All right. That was interesting. <laughs> That killed some time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I guess also um, Lady Gaga's new album, Joanne, hit number one this week, selling 201,000 records. Um, not a bad start. And of course, you know, more steam towards that uh, Super Bowl berth that she got. So, Yeah, uh, I think that was I mean, I think that's part of, of anybody getting the Super Bowl. Yeah. Spike in record sales. Yeah. Yeah. So. Hey, good for her. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm looking at the charts right now. Uh, I don't know who's buying these Michael Bublé albums. Everyone, man. That's why he's... That's, <laughs> I'm telling you, Michael Bublé and Nora Jones, every every album goes platinum. Because like they, they have that built-in older crowd that's like, I'm going to pay for my music. <laughs> um, and they don't download singles. They're not like, <laughs> they don't care about singles. They want to actually buy the record. Have some friends over, you know, put on a Michael Bublé album and drink some wine. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just, I'm just going to give you the top five on that. Uh, Pentatonics, famous from the, was that the sing-off? Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, I remember that show. Um, yeah. So, they have they have a Christmas album. A Pentatonics Christmas is number three. Uh, Two things I hate the most. Acapella <laughs> groups and, and Christmas, Christmas albums. <laughs> Can't stand it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think like even Billboard has a Christmas chart, so and I there. think like "All I Want for Christmas" by Mariah Carey has been number one for like twenty years. Uh, but anyway, that's number three. Uh, Corn. I didn't know how they it had a new album. What? The Serenity of Suffering is oh, number yeah. four. I heard that came out. And uh, Drake. Rounds out the top five. Views is number five. It dropped from number two. Did he have? A, he has. He has some new stuff coming out that I've heard. The, well, he has. He has a new, a, a new mixtape okay. coming out. He has a. It's a. There's a couple of new songs out. Um, one is with Twenty One Savage. Okay, so I I I heard of him. I saw him in a meme. Apparently, Drake bought him a Ferrari. 
Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about that. As a, for his birthday, he bought 21 Savage a Ferrari because Meme was like, Drake brought, bought 21 Savage a Ferrari. I can't even get $5 from my friends. Like, he has a song with 21 Savage. Uh, he has another song called Fake Love. Yeah, I like Fake Love. I heard that last one. And he has a song called Two Birds, One Stone, which may have been produced by, co-produced by Kanye. Okay. Hmm. Uh, and we know that the there's supposed to be some collaboration album coming. I'm sure that was before the Taylor Swift news broke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, the new album from Drake is going to be called More Life. And it has a picture of his dad on the cover. That's who that is? That, yeah, that's that his dad. That was a creepy picture. <laughs> I thought that was Drake in makeup or something. <laughs> that is a weird picture. Drake is hustling, man. Like, when did Views? Views came out earlier this year, didn't it? Yeah, it came out early. early he's been this doing year. an album a year. Like he's well, maybe. Uh, let's soon. see. Nothing was the same. Was twenty thirteen? If you're reading this, it's too late. Was twenty fifteen? What a time to be alive was also twenty fifteen. And then Views twenty sixteen. He's having about an album or two a year. Yeah, he must live in the studio, man. Like, <laughs> uh, so. Uh, yeah. It well, it's an interesting time to be alive yeah. for Drake, definitely. And there's in the story with like uh, Drake introduced his mom to Taylor Swift. Is that a sign of dating? For Drake, isn't that just a figure that's like first dates too? Right yeah. There? Well, I mean, like <laughs> that's so aggressive. <laughs> I don't know. Meet the meet, meet my mom. Or maybe on the his first mom date? was like, "I love Taylor Swift. Can I meet her?" And it's just like, I, like Taylor, I love your music. That style song. I don't know how Drake's mom talks, but that style song was so awesome. It was so good. Can you sign this for me? And like she was, and then he's like, oh, by the way, we're dating. He's like, oh, okay. <laughs> what happened to that nice Rihanna girl? <laughs> like, I don't think she liked me, mom. Like, that's Well, no, said. I don't think that's what, I don't think his mom would have said that. She would have talked to Taylor about Rihanna. Oh, God. About like. She's crazy. <laughs> You know, I, I, it's, it's so weird that he's gotten to a relationship so fast. I mean, his heart was just broken. <laughs> I told him he, you're, I said, son, you're the only one in that relationship. But he, you know, then he tried to kiss her on stage at the VMAs. Oh God, I forgot about that. <laughs> oh yeah. Hold on. So is that maybe why they had that song that that was their breakup? I don't know how to talk to you. Like that was them breaking up on the record. <laughs> But that was before. Was that before? They did, that song was before the, the VMA? before the VMAs. I don't know. I don't know. It's interesting. Well, I'm sure that um, Drake and or Taylor Swift will come up on our podcast again. But oh, anyway, definitely, definitely. So um, it uh, we've talked about a couple of times where someone's getting sued for a song sounding like another song. So this time. We have uh, Bruno Mars being sued by a band called Collage. They're from the, they were uh, part of the electro funk soul Minneapolis scene of the 1980s. And they are suing Bruno Mars and Mark Ronson for the song Uptown Funk because they believe it is a dead on copy in rhythm, harmony, melody, and structure. Hmm interesting uh about this is with collage okay one they they're suing two years after the song came out uh, and two there's only one living member 
So that's probably why I had to save up the money. Like from the second he heard, he was like, man, I'm going to save this money, get this lawyer, and I'm going to sue. Just give me a little bit of time. And now he's got it. Lawyers are not cheap. Uh, what's... So now we're getting a little feedback. Oh, well, we'll deal with it later. So, uh, this single is Bruno Mars' biggest song. 6.1 million copies. That That's... I feel like that's like a hundred million in compared to like the nineties, the eighties or nineties yeah. selling 6 million now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the second longest number one hit in billboard history. And it makes a hundred thousand dollars a week for the record label, just streaming on Spotify. Not bad. So, um, Let's play a little bit of, we'll do a little comparison here of Uptown Funk and Collage and see if anybody knows, uh, thinks that the one living member of Collage has a case. <laughs> I didn't know there was only one person alive. I know that's not funny because people are dead, but... Um... Do, 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 do. I see how can it be stealing because Michelle Pfeiffer wasn't around back then. Like, what's going on there? Yeah. What's what's the story here? Collage. Well, she may have been around, like, technically. If it's the same time period, because they're talking oh, about man. Michelle Pfeiffer and Scarface, yeah, never mind. and Grease Two, Grease Two. So let's uh, play collage. This is the song "Young Girls." Wait, hold on. Okay, here we go. So, does Collage have a case? I don't know if they have a case, but I hear the similarities. It's just, to me, it depends on the judge. Because I was, the whole, like, I thought Led Zeppelin was going to lose theirs, and they didn't. And I thought, what's his name? The Tom Petty guy would lose, but he won. Or, you know, Tom Petty won. So, it's like, I don't, it, it, it goes, it could go either way for me. I don't. I, I hear the similarities too, but the, the the real similarity I hear really is the the opening wow part, and then some a little bit of the guitar rhythm, but I, I don't know. I, you know, it probably will be the judge, the judge that decides. I, I think these things are kind of getting out of hand though at this point. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, like what what is he going to gain <laughs> from this other than some money? Like what will he gain from this? Well, it's probably some all money. he really wants is the I money. Yes, because I mean, it's not like and, gonna, and royalties. It's not like they're gonna put him on stage and be like introducing the one surviving member of Collage. Come he, on up he here. He co-wrote man. this song, Uptown Funk. Come on up here, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, well, isn't it? I'm wondering because isn't this the Bruno Mars song that he's already paying like 
there's like 11 writers to the song so that he wouldn't get sued. Like, isn't he paying out uh, Trinidad James for this one, too? Oh, yeah, Trinidad James. Well, well, so that would be, well, let's see. How many songwriters on Uptown Funk? Because I thought that's what he did, is he just added all these people that... Well, I think he added Trinidad James because he, um, his verse structure was similar to... Don't believe me. uh, To All Gold Everything. Yeah, yeah. So he was already credited as a songwriter on it. See, I thought he got added after the fact when it... No, he did. He he got added after the fact. uh, Oh. Yeah. Okay, so, wow, all right, so we have Jeff Basker, Academy Award winner Jeff Basker, <laughs> uh, Philip Lawrence, Bruno Mars, Mark Ronson, Nicholas Williams, Devin Gillespie, Lonnie Simmons, The Gap Band, so that's three, add three, and Rudolph Taylor. Eleven, yeah. <laughs> the Gap Band? Hold on, wait, when did that happen? Uh, let's see. <laughs> okay, so... um. Where did the Gap Band come in? Okay. So in April 2015, it was revealed that a settlement had been reached with the Gap Band's publishing company to add core group members Charlie Wilson, Robert Wilson, Ronnie Wilson, keyboardist Rudolph Taylor, who we've already mentioned, and producer Lonnie Simmons' co-writers due to the song similarities to <laughs> Oops Upside Your Head and that they would receive a 17% songwriting credit. I feel like the song just has a target on itself. Yeah. Well, I mean, it sounds like it just sounds like '80s funk. It sounds like everything. I'm trying to remember how "Oops Upside Your Head" sounds, but I mean, well, let's, but let's that's look the thing. Into that. I would be. I'm more convinced that they ripped off the Gap Band, a band that people know more so than Collage. Like I can believe if you say, "Oh, they ripped off the Gap Band," I could believe that the Gap Band was pretty big. All right, here's "Oops Upside Your Head." All right, hold on. That's from their live. Thing. Um, I know there's a better version of this. Okay, here we go. Say oops upside your head. Say oops upside your head. Say oops up. Yeah. <laughs> you think that was the uptown funk? Yeah. Oh, that, mel- funk that melody is See, there. there you go. Yeah. Mark, what are you doing, man? <laughs> See, I, I can believe that. The Gap Band was pretty big. The Gap Band was a big band. I can believe that. And now I know where I heard that from before. When I heard that song. And Ronson also said in an interview, the song was enti- to be entitled Don't Believe Me, Just Watch. <laughs> okay, right. hold on. I'm, I'm trying to go back and see. Okay. Like Nicholas Williams, which, who is Trinidad James. So he did get some writing credit. Very normal name. <laughs> I love that guy. <laughs> <laughs> um. So I I think there I don't think there's really a case here. I mean if if it took so long to figure out that with the with blurred lines or with uh, with stay with me, I think that I you could hear like okay it does that part sounds like this part. So uh, it was on the more, record. I don't think stay with me. You don't think <laughs> so? I, I I don't I no I, I I disagree with that wholeheartedly. Well, it was, it was, it was close. No, I think it was close. <laughs> Agree to disagree. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I no, think, you... I think it was close to where there was a case. I don't think there's a case here really. Well, what is it? It's only melody can be copyrighted. And to me, there wasn't a melody there. It was just basic chords, a beat, yeah. very, a very, very generic beat. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's, I hear similarities, but I don't think there's a case. Okay. Yeah. I think if anything, um, I forgot what I was going to say. Crap. All right. That, that quickly. Um, 
I think. Oh, okay. Anna. I think the reason those songs were found, like the the similarities, were heard so quickly, is because those songs were in the public conscious. This band was not like who. No one knows who Collage is. They're not. They weren't very big. Everyone knows Marvin Gaye. Everyone knows Tom Petty. For the most part, a lot of people know the Gap Band. So those similarities, those songs were popular. You're gonna hear it as soon as you hear the song. Same thing with um, Chainsmokers and the Fray. You're gonna hear it. You're gonna hear it immediately because those songs are popular. Collage. Nobody knows who they are. I mean, I imagine maybe one of his friends was like, "Hey, man, you hear that song? I think Bruno Mars ripped y'all off." Like probably said it drunkenly at a party. <laughs> no, if it was drunkenly, like, oh, I heard your song on the radio. <laughs> I heard, I heard your song during the All-Star game. They played it every time they went to commercial. It was some light-skinned boy singing it, though. <laughs> and it was just... He had this poofy hair, and he was... He was wearing gold chains, and... He was up there dancing around like Morris used to dance. <laughs> <laughs> Is that Morris' son? He got a son? But, like, that... So, like, with this one, I mean, like, I, I, I'm, almost, I'm almost certain he had to save up the money, either save up the money to do it, or find a lawyer that would take it, like, with, I'll get you money on the back end. Like when we win this case, then I'll get you the money, cause like I don't know, like it's it's frustrating. Oh, okay, um, okay. Well, enough about that. Let us know on Instagram or Facebook if Collage has a case. They might. I don't think they do personally. <laughs> Are we all saying? Did we all say yeah, that they don't yeah, have a case? Okay. Yeah. Well, they're gonna go through it anyway. Um, Waste the court's time. <laughs> Uh, okay, so what's come out? Um, I, I haven't paid attention to to this probably for at least fifteen years. Uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and there's some dogs barking. I don't know if they'll be picked up on the recording, but <laughs> it's happening. So the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame announced their nominees, and um, it's kind of hard to tell like what is the what the voters look for like how are people nominated i mean i know the the only rule i knew about the rock and roll hall of fame is uh you're eligible 25 years after your first recording okay that's all i got yeah. <laughs> um and there are different mm-hmm. levels of you know it doesn't necessarily have to do with uh, longevity or as far as popularity or even like a having a whole lot of material yeah. so uh, I'm not sure what uh, if there's a consistent criteria to be nominated and inducted so the nominees include uh, ELO Tupac Sheik, The Cars, Pearl Jam Joan Baez Shaka Khan, MC5, Janet Jackson, Kraftwerk, Yes, Journey, Bad Brains, The Zombies, Depeche Mode, Jane's Addiction, Jay Giles Band, Steppenwolf, and Joe Tex. Um, yeah, so I found an article on The Observer where a guy is just going in on how are, how are these guys nominated but not these others. Um, he got a little hipsterish toward the end because there were a lot of acts that I'd never heard of. Um, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, is, bon, is Bon Jovi in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? He mentions Bon Jovi. Find out. Uh, Green Day is in. Uh, Judas Priest is not. 
That's a little surprising, actually. Iron Maiden is not. Well, you know what? That well, because I'm trying to think of the metal. But I think there was a there. thing as far as like, uh, the Rock and Hall of Fame, the writers and voters, and their, uh, how they look at heavy metal or metal yeah. or, you know, even subgenres within metal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but though they're not in, uh, Def Leppard is not in. I'm trying to think but like, Depeche is, Mode is nominated. Is Metallica in? Is because I'm trying to think of like some of the more influential metal bands. So like maybe Black Sabbath. Um, Black, Black Sabbath, Sabbath has Metallica. To be in. Um, I'm trying to think of. I mean, like whenever I think of influential, though, I go back to people like Iron Maiden, and I go back to people like Judas Priest. So if they're not in there, that's a little that's a little odd. Metallica is in. Metallica. Oh yeah, because they were, I remember the performance. Duh. Yeah, I, I saw it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, John Bovey. John Bovey. <laughs> John Bovey. Yes. John Bon Jovi is not in. Okay. Or Bon Jovi. Okay. I guess he could get technically get in there for a solo and. I guess. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know if his solo act, his solo work though, had a big enough influence. I mean, at this point, I see them credit Runaway to Bon Jovi, the band, at this point, and then I don't think anything he did after that. In between, like um, in the '90s, um, like Blaze of Glory. I don't think Blaze Blaze of Glory is going to get him into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame alone. I don't see that happening. We can't get, get in off of one song. That's what I'm saying. That's why I don't think he'll go. Maybe into two artists. <laughs> have another one because I know, like, I I just know, like, you had like you know those '80s albums by Bon Jovi, Blaze of Glory, and then next thing I know, like, it's my life. <laughs> like that's all I remember. But I know there are least stuff in between then. But like it just it didn't really go anywhere. So, but but it's always it seems like whatever uh, people are feeling like at the moment, or if there's something coming, like okay, NWA was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah, just to to coincide with their movie. Yeah, oh, that was last year, right? Yeah, yeah. Which, uh, well, yeah, I've already mentioned they they have a movie. That's my criticism yeah. of it. I have a really funny <laughs> joke about an easy E costume to tell you guys later that I'm not going to say on air. Just remind me to tell you later. <laughs> okay. Um, let's see who uh, Nirvana is in. Mm-hmm. Trying to think of anybody else as far as like some acts here that. Okay, Lou Reed is in by himself. Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. My personal favorite, Beastie Boys. Yes. What year did they go in? The Beastie Boys? Mm-hmm. I know that was recent, like within the last... 2012? Yeah. 2012, so they weren't a first ballot then. Is that a... Is, do, they, do they say that? I know in sports, they're like, oh, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. Oh, Are they no. still about musicians? I think it's rare. It's probably rare for anybody to be like, okay, it's been 25 <laughs> years. They can go in the Hall of Fame. Because I'm not going to lie. In my naivety, um, I think I was at one point said that Matchbox 20 would be a first ballot. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame band, and now seeing that there's all these people who have not been in, who've been eligible for so long, that had a greater influence than <laughs> Matchbox Twenty. Like, yeah, I don't think they're gonna make it in their first time out if they make it at all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see, Van Halen is in, REM, um, Miles Davis. Even though that wasn't until 2006. Now you know it's. I'm, I'm starting to wonder: Is it Rufus? Because I see Shaka Khan is nominated. Is Rufus in the Hall of Fame? Uh, Probably no. not. I don't. Th- no, they're not. That's a weird way of spelling it. 
R U F U S. Yeah. No, yeah. Not, oh man, that's they made her famous. <laughs> no, she made them famous. Well, I mean, when it famous. when it's the name of the band featuring and it has another person's name, that person who has their name, name. separate from the rest <laughs> of the band is making the rest of the band famous. I really miss that. I feel for them. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, uh, okay. I know yeah. you're referencing them, but everyone knows Prince wrote that song. Yeah. And that's why you can't find it on Spotify. And that makes me so, <laughs> so he sad. took it down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's why I'm tempted to get Tidal. I want to try it out. I didn't know it was, I didn't know they had a $10 a month plan. So. Hmm. And all of that stuff. What did they take away from you for a $10 plan? Hmm? Like, wasn't it always $25? Oh, I thought it was like it was fifteen. Like, it was like twenty-five or thirty dollars for title. I don't know what they took away, um, but um, um, Kendra's oh. family was in town this weekend, and her brother-in-law and her sister they have title, and I was like, "Wow, that's kind of expensive." You know, Spotify is cheaper, and they told that's when they told me that they get a title plan for ten bucks, and so that's what made me want. I'm like, "What did they take away? Like, did they take away the high fidelity the music flack or whatever? Or the, yeah, the flack. Wasn't that what separated them from everybody yeah. else?" They had like really, it was really high quality music. And then of course, you know, they have Beyonce and they have um, a lot, they have all of Jay-Z's early stuff because they've taken off like Reasonable Doubt is not on Spotify anymore. And um, I think like his first two or three records aren't on Spotify. And all you can usually find of his unplugged record is the edited version. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, that's something that we can get into. Mm-hmm. sometime down the road about the unplugged series Ooh, and why the Academy liked it so much. Uh, <laughs> yes, they did. So um, with the nominees, okay. The thing is, if you looked at, you know, we listed all the nominees, only five can get in. Yeah. Why? Because five. <laughs> um, so, uh, who do you think would get in? Well, as far as like, I looked at the odds here and the best odds. Um, the best odds go to, as far as this guy, uh, this, uh, writer from the observer, uh, Tim summer, as far as the best odds for the top five, ELO, Tupac, Sheik, the cars and Pearl jam. Not mix. I would have put Journey in there. I think Journey's in like the middle of the pack. Um, Janet Jackson is. Yeah, I would have put her in there as well. Just in the top but... ten, if they went to ten. Uh, Joe Tex and Steppenwolf have the longest shots. Looking though at Sheik, I could see why he might think that because they've been nominated eleven times. I was times. about to say like they're the only <laughs> people on there that have double digit nominations. And so just I kind of feel like, right, bad for him. Finally, after this <laughs> this long period. And you have to look at you look at um and this might be a producer spotlight down the line too, uh what now Rogers has done mm-hmm. um you know, working with other artists like Duran Duran and Daft Punk. And there's another one out there I can't think of, but I think, um, and, and, and as far as like their influence on a genre, Oh yeah. I mean, people, people have their, uh, their feelings about disco, <laughs> but chic 
with um, Nile Rodgers, Bernard Edwards. They were they were the Lennon and McCartney of disco. Like I've heard that nickname a lot, but it's really true. Like they they did a lot of stuff. Well, I mean, that was Nile successful. Has a very has a very distinctive style of playing. Yeah. Like, um, at, I was at work a few weeks ago, and some guy wanted to put on um, like we we're having like a, a, a semi party or whatever. He put on like a funk station. And like every song like that came on by Chic, I could instantly tell because the I was like, yeah, that's they're like, oh, how do you know? I'm like, no, Rogers guitar playing. Like you, you can just tell. Like, and if it wasn't Chic, it was a band that he was in. <laughs> like it was another band that he was just playing. He played guitar on this album, or he played with them. I was like, yeah, you can tell it's not Rogers. So if you like gave you the the top five, who would would if you could pick five from the list to be inducted? Um, who would those be? Mm. Yeah, you go, you go. All right, it would go. No, not not any particular order. <laughs> uh, I'd go Chic, Depeche Mode, uh, Janet Jackson, Kraftwerk, and Tupac probably. Okay. Word. Um, I would go uh, Chic. Tupac, um, Pearl Jam, uh, Yes, and Kraftwerk. Um, I think with Kraftwerk, uh, their influence is is a little understated. Uh, just their influence as in far as far as as far as hip hop goes, it's very, um, well, it's, it's what's more than under the radar. (laughs) I think it's something like that. Um, because their, their sound influenced, um, the, uh, African Bambata and, you know, the different electro acts of the early eighties, let's late seventies, early eighties, and yeah, it had a significant influence on you, but it's like a lot of people probably don't even a lot of hip hop heads may not know about too much about them just because they weren't, they weren't like super popular in America, yeah. but your, your, the DJs knew about them yeah. <laughs> and, 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 yeah. and, uh, they were very influential. Ben, do you have a five from the. From this list of nominees? Well, I mean, of course, first and foremost, the Jay Giles Band, guys. Um. <laughs> I know one song by the Jay Giles Band. <laughs> I thought they were a one-hit wonder. No, I didn't I'm know kidding. anything um, about them. Honestly, I, I, I'd, I'd probably go in, in, of course, in no particular order. i go Shaka Khan, Sheik, um, Janet Jackson, Pearl Jam. And I can't decide between Yes and Journey, but I'm, I'd probably go with Yes because they're older. And because of the huge influence they had on prog rock, which I'm a, I'm a big fan of, so. All right. Uh, so, uh, in continuing to ask you to uh, interact with us, like you, the <laughs> listener, to tell us which five of this year's nominees would you induct into the Hall of Fame? Uh, as I said, the best odds listed here go to ELO, and none of us picked them. And <laughs> the longest shot is Joe Tex 
and none of us picked him either. <laughs> um, so uh, that will. Uh, I think that's enough to talk about as far as news goes in the music world. So let's get to Ben's earworm of the week. Oh yeah. All right. So the name of the song is Drive Slow. It's it's by Jalea. I'm gonna spell that for you. Because... Oh, I thought you were gonna. I thought you were talking about the Kanye song. Mm-hmm. I do like that song, but not that not that one. I think it's like J I L L. Let me look it up. I th- I can't find much. Oh, by I got it. Okay. It was once again another one of those discover songs, discover playlists from Spotify, which are always hits. I love them, um, but I can't find anything about her, um, where she's from, who she really is. Like I think the actual name of the album is "Who Is Julia," and I think like the and ad- we don't know. I think like the website <laughs> is whoisjulia.com, but I dare not go there at work. So. Based on where people listen to her music, she's probably Canadian. Because the top oh. five cities are all Canadian. Good looking, right? Yeah, she's kind of cute. Yeah. So, but yeah, that's that. Yeah, ever since they suggested that song to me, I've been obsessed with it. All right. So, um, Jalea, drive slow, and we'll be right back.
right, that is Drive Slow by Jalea from her EP, Who is Jalea? And uh, let us know because we have no idea. She may be Canadian. That's all we got. <laughs> all right. So we started off the show with Town Called Malice by The Jam, one of their most popular songs. And uh, the thing about Jam is it's it's three three guys, guitar, bass, and drums. So we are talking about power trios um, or, or is it just trio or to it. just be, you know, um, it's gotta have power, man. It's got power. What What do you mean by that? I don't because I wanted. <laughs> I, I was trying to say that like Christopher Walken, but I didn't. Power. It's got power, man. It's got power. Um, power. It's just like you know, you have because I mean, it, it kind of pop was popularized with the rise of ampl- amplifiers. You know, so the guitars were louder, the basses were louder. They could finally really compete with drums. Um, and it's all about like the I don't know, like I just get. I don't know. I just I get a sense of power. I mean, power chords. You just everything about it just kind of uses power. Although, like I feel like a lot of um, people in power trios, especially nowadays, use a lot of open chords to get like to fill up sound, especially like the muse. But yeah, that's that's kind of where I get it. Just it's a sense of power. Uh, so, Matt, what um, what do you what what do you think it takes for this kind of format to be successful? Um, to me, it's just, you, you, you have to, my idea is you have to be able to perform live and sound like you're more than three people. Mm-hmm. Like, and there's, you know, there's people that do it, but it's a hard thing to do coming from a musician's perspective. It's, it's not always, <laughs> you can't, you can't, you can't always do it. <laughs> what, what are, what are like, so what are like the, what some struggles, like or common struggles of trying to make these three these three different sounds sound bigger than what they are in my mind it lies all on the guitar because that has to fill up most of the space it covers the broad range of what you're hearing so if you got a weak guitar player it's not gonna be impactful at all in my mind i think another thing that affects it as well um, and this is more so this might really be more so like a modern problem. People love to double track and triple track and like guitars. So then when you actually hear it play, uh, live, ex- ex- explain what that what that means. So basically you'll have and like the Foo Fighters do this a lot. And so when I saw them, I saw them play at some some show once like four guitar players on stage. And then I was like, <laughs> I thought about that, like, oh, yeah, they double triple track things like that. So basically you'll lay down one guitar part and you might either you'll you might double that guitar part or you'll lay down a separate guitar part to kind of add a little bit of depth and fill up space kind of like how Matt was saying like you want to fill up space um and like with the power trio you want to try to fill up that space without having to have all of that going on because if you go in the studio and you're and like you have like six guitar tracks all right well how am I gonna recreate that on stage with just one guitar player unless you do like some power trios I've done in the past where they'll just add like a touring guitar player. Like he's not official, officially a member of the band, but they're just subject touring with them. But like the really good bands, like the muses of the world don't have to do that. They like Matthew Bellamy is an amazing guitar player. I can just fill up space. And I'm fairly certain he does. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm pretty sure he double tracks guitars, right? I mean, that's, that's standard practice. Yeah. Well, I'm talking about like double tracking as in like, and I shouldn't say double tracking, but like, 
just adding like a wall of sound. I mean, again, like if you're just doubling what you've already played, that's that's common practice. No, for, not well, in, But if you're doing harmonies, like, yeah, that's, that's what different. I'm thinking of. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know. I'm sure he does, but yeah. Also, live, you don't ever really see the guy on the stage, but they have a synth player in the back. Oh, they do. So that'll Ooh. fill up a lot of space too. I wanted to, I wanted to ask about about that, like, um, kind of in connection to with trying to define what a power trio is. Is does it have to be? guitar or in some cases and and what i've read is sometimes there's a piano or the hammond organ it Mm. it says specifically hammond organ so that one specifically but um with using any other instrument if you have the bass drums but a a synthesizer keyboard organ uh do you think those do those same practices apply as far as like double or or triple tracking or having to have another um no but i would musician. say i would say that piano or synth like the focus is going to be on that again like instead of the guitar player it's going to be on that to fill up what you hear because it's most likely writing all the melody of the song too mm-hmm. so if that's what you're hearing mostly if you can't produce that again live yeah. you're going to come across weak and like not like people aren't going to be it's not going to be impactful in my mind mm-hmm. Well, I wanted to ask, ask you guys this. Uh, since you have performed together and uh, one, you've been, you're like the, the lead, Matt, lead guitar, and Ben, you've been the rhythm guitar as far as what I've seen most commonly, I guess. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, is there, are there any like techniques that are, that have to be changed or what, what is the guitar in a trio have to do differently than what is done when it's, two separate parts. Uh, I mean, to me, I mean, you're, you're stuck with being both rhythm and solo. And the biggest issue to come across is when you have to solo and then like, you don't have that rhythm to fill up. It's like, how, what do you, what do you sacrifice? Yeah. And because there's sacrifice in, well, in performing it. Right. Yeah. Right, but right. also in like songwriting. Possibly. No, I mean, to me, because you can do what you want in the studio. Yeah. It's just you're going to limit yourself if you write a song with too many things going on. Yeah. And you know you're not going to have somebody else on stage with you. Yeah, and that's kind of what I was referring to with the, the triple track, like, you know, adding in all these layers. Um, I know they're not a trio, but I think one band that does a good job of this is Raging Against Machine. Like, if you listen to Bulls on Parade, Whenever there's a solo, and I'm trying to think of their later stuff, but Bulls on Parade is what comes to mind initially. When he starts playing his solo, he doesn't add a, He doesn't have a guitar in the background playing over, you know, while he's playing his solo. So when he's they're playing live, you get the exact sound for the most part. So with that with that example, I mean it's four members, but there's three musicians. It's yeah. three musicians and one vocalist. So where does the um with where can a how does a what does a bass player need to do as far as like okay you're the they're the they're the um the rhythm part of the song well half of it and they they're the the bottom of the song but and they're filling in gaps basically so what what's important for a, a bass player as far as if you're in a trio and you have to keep everything going if if you're not layering and if you're not stacking and if you're if the if the guitar player insists on having a solo in the song <laughs> right <laughs> uh, i mean to me 
it it's you got to keep the low end like I, I i see i don't see it a lot or hear it a lot but you know like some bass players it'll if they just have time to do whatever they want while someone else is soloing like they don't think someone's paying attention to them like if you're not holding in that low end of the notes or the whatever you're not really going to be heard underneath that guitar solo and with all the drums so it's like if you don't hold that lower end like you sound so thin so that's where i think a bass player is really respected is being the the second half of that backbone of the band and if you start trying to do your own thing like another guitar player it, it just loses everything yeah do you are there any um uh well okay it's and then so that's that's basically what it is. Do you think a bass player is limited that way? I mean, okay, they may have the respect, but are they limited in what they could do? No, I don't. I mean, good bass players can do a lot with not doing much. Mm-hmm. Like it's hard. It's it's a weird way to explain it, but like they don't. I don't think they're limited. If they're limited, they're doing it to themselves. Do you think that that uh, there was that there are any any differences between how someone in a trio plays versus someone playing um, in a quartet. Well, I mean, they might move around more, but I mean, and I mean, when I say move around, like, is in like, you know, how Matt said, you know, send a low end, they might not send a low end as much because they know there's another instrument there to kind of help fill space and help keep rhythm. Um, um, I'm trying to think a band off the top of my head. I keep thinking of vertical horizon really as a quartet because their bass player um, is usually all over the place as far as playing. And I, I, there's even a few songs I've heard by the Foo Fighters where their bass player, whose name escapes me, I don't think it's Chris Shiflett, though. No, he's, he's a guitar, guitar player. Yeah. Um, but, uh, <laughs> like, I'm, as a matter of fact, I remember reading an article specifically where they talk about how underrated as a bass player that the guy from Foo Fighters is, but, like, the producer has him, like, kind of ring it back um, to help kind of fill space. And so that kind of goes to what you were saying, like, where it's like, you know, stay on that low end if you can, if you can. I mean, and it's not, it's not taking anything away from the bass player. I'm not saying that they're just there to be, you know, we just play low notes and nothing else. But I mean, like, when you're trying to fill out space, especially when it's three people and you don't have the added security. Okay. Yeah. All right, to me, uh, the one that always comes to mind that was such a, I say disappointment, but it's, it's not entirely Chevelle. Because they're albums are heavy and they sound great but every time i watch a live version of their songs it it, once there's not like a rhythm part going and it's some kind of like lead riff it's it falls apart it's so thin there's i don't know what he's doing because he has great tone as a guitar player but when it comes live it's like he takes everything back a notch and it just sounds so thin and weak and i hate it because they're great Okay. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you about, uh, as far as not just with, um, how, how bands perform technically in this format, but as far as, uh, as far as like songwriting, mm-hmm. this, the songwriting is, is good. There's going to be like a, a change there as far as from, if you have a quote unquote full band or at least, at least four musicians on a song. If it's just three, do you think that that can impact how someone like you, some like in a power trio with somebody singing, right? right. Yeah. <laughs> so Hopefully. do you think that affects like the, 
um, like the songwriting. Like for me, as far as a trio, one of the first bands that comes to mind is like the police. Mm-hmm. And if you have um, like the bass player singing is, is not really, it's not a common thing. It, I feel like not really. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, maybe, maybe that's like um, uh anomaly or outlier, whichever word you want to use there. But as far as if one of these, one of these three are singing, do you think that affects like um, the songwriting as far as like vocals or just with lyrics? Because now you're, your brain is doing a whole lot of things right now. Well, honestly, <laughs> you're trying to play the song and sing the song. If it's not like, like um, I call it the, the, the George Benson technique to where you're singing the note you're playing at the same time. <laughs> uh, I mean, to me, honestly, the police is the perfect example of no, you're not limited because they're playing an off time. Sting's not playing a normal, just root note. And and obviously he's singing in odd times sometimes too, and it, it's he that band alone just breaks all that. Like if mm-hmm. you you can't say you can't do it because it's been done. Yeah. Like I know it depends on the person. Yeah. Like some people just can't get as good as Sting, but <laughs> you know it's I, I don't think there's you have to sacrifice. Okay, I agree. Yeah. Um, now as far as uh. I guess I want to get into like like your um, preferences as far as this format goes. Um, do you think that uh, if if someone in the band play, if it's like uh, bass, drums, and keyboard, do you, could you still consider yourself a power trio, or is it just a just a trio that oh that shouldn't really count? I mean, I don't see why not. Maybe I don't know. What, no what power? No, I'm well, yeah, like what's <laughs> really like what's what's the definition of the power? Yeah. Well, I mean, if Ben Folds Five is one of the ones that we brought up. Um, now, not Brick, of course. Brick was their their ballad, but like there were other songs that they had. Um, uh, one Angry Door from Five Hundred Solemn Faces, I think, was the name of the song. Where like their bass player uses a lot of distortion to kind of give it a very a power feel. Um, and then on like subsequent records, they started using like you know like backing like strings and, and horns and stuff like that. But like on that first album, I think it was like Forever and Ever and Amen. Um, on that song, he uses um, distortion on his, on his bass, and there's a piano solo in that particular song where he uses distortion on the bass as well to kind of fill up space. So I think you can still get that power. Oh, you're playing nice. Ben Folds is so talented as a piano player. Like he, he pulls his stuff off easy. That's the same tone that he uses when he plays his solo. I've heard it maybe once, <laughs> once before. <laughs> okay, so what, um, as far as if someone were to, if they wanted to go with this format, 
what are, um, do you have the, can you get away with not using, you know, if using distortion or any other kind of effects to be, or does that make it, or is it, is that going to be a problem with trying to fill the space? I don't think so. Uh, yeah, it just depends on the genre, really. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, like, for the most part, Andy Summers didn't use a ton of distortion. Yeah. Um, I mean, well, I mean, it depends on which phase of the police. Because, I mean, like, he kind of did on early police. But, like, later when they started doing, like, um, what, Synchronicity, um, I don't think had a ton of, well, Synchronicity 2 did. But, like, um, was a do-do-do-da-da-da. No distortion there. Still, feel a lot of space still filled up. Well, part of that, I think, is due to his... This is getting a little technical, but Fl- Flander, like he used effects, yeah, which yeah. would fill up a lot more than just a clean guitar, yeah. So, so I mean, Flander it's yeah, okay. like that was like his favorite thing. I know he used a lot of chords. It sounded like I can tell. I can never tell though. That he's the he's the effects whiz over here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, now with some some acts and trying to figure out like who who falls into this. Um, another band that comes up, probably one of the on the more popular side, is someone like. Nirvana. Now, what do you think made made their? Um, I know Rolling Stone on their they had a list of the greatest guitarists of all time, and and Kurt Kurt Cobain was up there. And I don't know how you guys feel about like some somebody like that. Maybe it was just the <laughs> the his popularity or or the songs were good. But as far as like him playing technically, it, for you know guys like you, it, that's it's questionable at best uh, yeah. I mean, it, technicality is what they're basing it on they yeah. got it wrong, yeah, completely wrong. <laughs> i mean that well i'll just say that i mean i thought in middle school he was one of the greatest guitar players ever but i didn't know it any better and then i got a little bit older and i discovered you know because there was a while when i thought that like all the shredders were really good the people like joe satriani the people like steve Vai, and then you kind of realize that there's a there's a there's a medium like there are people that are really technical and they're really good but they lack depth, if, you, if, if that's how you want to put it. They lack, I don't want to say emotion, because I'm sure they feel, I'm sure they feel they're playing, but no one else does. And like, that's the, that's the problem, is no one else really feels it. And it's kind of like, you know, people, a lot of people who like, you know, are metalheads or shredders, are prog rockers, will, will rip on a guy like Eric Clapton for being popular. Oh, he's not that good. But he can still, he can still move people. He can still move the common man. And that's where a lot of people who play prog rock and like to shred, kind of fall out of touch they're just like oh look at how fast i can go like, no one cares like it's it's fun to watch for a minute and then it starts to kind of sound the same best. yeah it, it sounds the same <laughs> now with that being said though there are guitar players out there that are extremely technically diff- um gifted that can play good music and i mean i just john mayer yeah john mayer is one of them i use satrani as an example but satrani can play some pretty moving music if he wants to um but I mean, like, there are people like John Petrucci or Andre Malmsteen, or, um, and those really are the only two that come to mind because Andre Malmsteen's ego is so huge that he thinks he's got to give to guitar. Um, but he yeah. can, even he can, and I'm a huge Malmsteen fan, I can only take so much of him because <laughs> he gets boring <laughs> after a while. Now, with um, another, well, another person's on that list, I think they were number one on the list was Jimi Hendrix. And I know there are questions about his. Well, he's, technical, he's judged unfairly because, I mean, he's he's from a different time. I think, like, what I think the biggest thing about Jimi Hendrix, in my opinion at least, was his influence. 
um, and the fact that like there weren't a lot of people doing what he was doing at the time, taking taking blues, taking rock. Because I mean, like his his the type of music he did was all over the place. Like he had songs as heavy, which at the time this was a heavy song. Purple Haze playing in the, playing in the background was a heavy song, but then he could do a song like Wind Cries Mary. He was he was he operated at both ends of the spectrum. Was he the most technical player? Probably not. But I mean, like that's not gonna make me like not like him and not respect him. But I, I have met people who didn't respect Jimi Hendrix and like didn't want to be compared to him. They're like, ah, oh, man, don't like Jimi Hendrix. He wasn't very good. Like even Andre Malmsteen, not to bring him up again, who lists Hendrix as one of his biggest influences, still disparages his playing. Like loves him as an influence, but says that he wasn't very good. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, now, uh, what I wanted to ask you, uh, ask you guys about is, um, okay, we've talked about the guitar playing, talk about the bass playing. Now, as far as with the, um, with the drums, is there anything that uh, a drummer would have to do different in a trio compared to a quartet or quintet or whatever? Do you think do you see or hear anything that's different? Stand back there and bang it, man. Just, <laughs> <laughs> just to, to me, it would be the creativity behind the beat you're playing. Like Blink One Eighty Two comes to mind when they got Travis Barker. I think they became way mm-hmm. more powerful as a trio because you know that first what Dude Ranch. It was I don't know what the drummer's name. Yeah, but like that whole album, it was just like like it was the same yeah. punk beat. But then you get Travis Barker in there, and he's doing like crazy things, crazy fills, and like mm-hmm. weird beats. And what's a good example of something with Travis Barker? Um, oh, was it like First Date? Maybe I think. Yeah, First Date's pretty good. That's a pretty good one. I think my favorite would probably be um, Man Overboard. I like that song too. Um, I mean, I mean honestly, try, just choose a track. Really. Yeah, I mean, that that whole album, yeah. like Take Your Pants Off and Jacket. <laughs> <laughs> You know, for He's, the longest time, I did. I like. I don't. I don't get it. I don't get it because they use the love, word jacket instead yeah. of it being two words. But yeah, um, I lo- like yeah. that. I love that album. I think it's one of their best. Remind me what's okay, on, what, first I, what songs are on there again? First date and uh, the rock Stay show. Together for, the for the kids. Oh yes, that personal favorite. Happy holidays, you bastard. That song is which now, is only forty two seconds. Yeah, you shouldn't so play that. I shouldn't play that. <laughs> I don't know how you are with like vulgarity on this oh, podcast. No. So. Well, to give an example though of 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 huge guitar tone and filling up space, stay together for the kids. Yeah, huge. That, yeah. That's okay. Powerful Let's play that. song. And that dude only has one pickup on his guitar. Mind you, a hunbooker. <laughs> so. And a volume knob, no tone yeah, knob. No tone. Doesn't care about tone. Screw tone. It's one but one knob. <laughs> he only cared volume. about tone when it, Angels and Airwaves came around. Yeah. It's hard to but yeah, this song just fills up space. When that chorus comes in, it just smacks me in the face. Just gotta love it. Yeah, this is a great song. Yeah. I kind of felt like it was this album's version of Adam's song. Yeah. But yeah. better. <laughs> Unfortunately, my nieces and nephews love Adam's song. Really? Uh, you know, they're young. They don't know what it's about. That's what they, they know? <laughs> okay. Yeah, my sister has it on her iPod, but they love that song, and she feels bad about it because it's not—it's a very sad song. <laughs> so with uh, so with this kind of with this kind of band, um, could you, uh, if if possible, elaborate more about okay when they have Travis Barker, 
compared to whoever the other guy was. I don't mean to call him whoever the other guy was. Yeah, but. well, I don't know his name either. But, that guy. <laughs> but what do you... Um, do you think like that was kind of the turning point for them as far as how popular they were in the late 90s? I think it separated them from just regular pop punk bands. Because, like, Damn It is the perfect example of what every other pop punk band sounded like. It was that beat was like every song was that same beat. So he wasn't playing on Damn It? No. I didn't see I didn't. No, no. He wasn't on that. I don't think he was on that album at all. But there was, I mean, there's a documentary with Tom DeLonge on YouTube. I don't remember what it's called. But he talks about when Travis came to the band and they were practicing and Travis started out doing those same beats like before. And he's like, dude, I'm like, this is boring. It's like I'm doing the same like this is the same thing over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, I'm not a drummer. Tom's like, I'm not a drummer. I don't know I don't know what to tell you. He's like, just do whatever and like if you do something weird, maybe I'll do something weird and we'll see what happens. And so Travis started doing all these crazy fills and it nice. totally changed like the songwriting process for them. Ooh. Okay. And so it, like it it's you know, that's a big thing to me, I guess, now that thinking about it is like when you're only, when there's only three of you, you can't rely on one person to write the song, really. Otherwise, you're going to end up with the same stuff. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you are playing off each other in their own aspect of creativity, you're going to get something completely different than what you've normally been doing. Okay. Um, well, another band I want to ask you about, uh, and they're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, <laughs> as Green Day. Oh, uh, I didn't know they were in it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <clears throat> so, with Green Day... Um, what do you think like may have separated them as far as being a trio? I think it was the time they blew up. Like when Dookie came out, it was, they were probably the, as far as I know, they were the first mainstream pop punk band. Like, I mean, there were how many hits off this album? Yeah. It was ridiculous. Um, okay. The, the, the singles that I knew were, were basket case mm-hmm. when I come around oh, yeah. okay. I didn't know and Longview. There probably were a couple more, but those are the songs that I I, I knew of. Yeah, I mean, which is funny when you think about it. The whole album's only like half an hour long. Yeah, and all the songs are pretty much the same. So, like, to me, there's nothing indescribably different. It's just I think it has to do with when they came around. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, do you think? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so what, what do was you Duke release? What year? Ninety four. Ninety four. Okay. Okay. So, do you think with? Uh, because of this that no one was going to be able to get away with making an album like this for too long as far as like if everything's the same beat or tempo and there's not a whole lot of variation yeah yeah okay um now uh when they go back to another band that actually didn't exist for as long as people may have thought they were thought they did but um I guess one of the earliest examples that um, I hear about is with Cream. Okay. Uh, so, what do you? I don't know it, how much you may know about them, but what do you think? Like, was their influence, or what? What do you think about their influence on like bands with three people going forward? I don't. Or I, if, yeah, or just with Eric Clapton's it. playing, or yeah, yeah. who's the um, who's their drummer? Ginger Baker is that? His name? I think Ginger Baker is bass player. Okay, Jack um, Bruce. I saw. I just Jack saw Bruce, that name. Yeah. <laughs> so it was um, one of the. Ginger Baker was their drummer. He was yeah. their drummer. And he was the bass player. Jack, Jack Bruce. Bruce. Okay, got it mixed up there. 
I did the same thing with Ben Halen once, but I digress. Um, <laughs> um, I don't know, like, because I don't know, how, I don't know who they influenced. I don't know a ton about them. This and um, I think this is this and the White Room are really the only two songs I know by them. See, my issue is. I don't think of them as cream. It's like you got what was it? Derek Domino's cream and then Clapton. Like all three of those, I just think Eric Clapton. Yeah, it's like Clapton. I don't ever know which band and or solo act the song came from. Yeah. Like I would have told you this was just Eric Clapton. Like <laughs> it's it's it was all of it was so mixed together to mm-hmm. me that I just he was the reason I knew these songs. Yeah. So what do you think technically of? Um, with Eric Clapton operating in this and, and actually with different acts and do you think there was anything you noticed from him playing with Cream or with their Gnomas or do anything solo in which there's going to be a different number of people each time I think this was heavier like the, yeah. in my opinion I think he did like ton of fuzz um, and not necessarily as blues influenced as his other stuff I mean, like, the, the soloing was kind of blues-related, you know, with the scales and stuff that he used, but, like, it wasn't, like, it, it wasn't, like, I don't want to say obnoxiously bluesy, because I don't think that blues is obnoxious, but, like, it was, it was heavy. It was, it was just straight-up rock. And what, what year did this come up? Because I'm pretty certain this was, like, in the middle of the psychedelic craze. Uh, 60-something, right? Yeah, it was in the 60s. They were, well, they were only together 66 to 68 yeah, it's a very short thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this was like, yeah, more characterized as rock than really anything else he did, in my opinion. Okay. Um, now, a, a trio that's that's been put into the prog rock category is Rush. Now, you also had like, all right, what do you have to say about no, that? Nothing, nothing, nothing. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll let it go. I'll let it, I'll let you guys talk. No, yo, no you can talk. I, I you can talk. stand Rush. I just can't. What so what what is your what is your beef? Well, it's the prog rock part. Like I, I don't like prog rock. I don't like odd time and signatures just for the fact of being different. Like it, it, that's all I feel it is. Is like they're like, hey, we can do this, so let's do it. Like I feel like I don't know. It's the, it's a weird thing with me. I don't I don't like it. I don't like that kind of prog rock stuff. Okay, I'm um, not into it. I now I like it. <laughs> the, the the thing that with with Rush, why they're um why I wanted to bring them up is because of, well, it's another band where the, the bass player is the lead singer and he also plays keyboards sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, um, I don't know. Well, we all know, a, a, a drummer, at least one he's in your band, but I don't know <laughs> what he thinks of someone like Neil Pert, but you probably will. You probably know some other drummers who will swear by Neil Pert or just people who think he's the greatest. And, I, I've seen a, a setup of his, and I I don't. I, it's a pretty big it, setup. It seems Wasn't like it's it's, it's, a, it's a lot. Created in Freaks and Geeks. I don't know. I thought I didn't. I never watched Freaks and uh, Geeks. Yeah, I think it. I don't remember. No, I just feel like he's doing a, like there's a Isn't lot going on like here. Surround yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a big drum set. I think the reason a lot of people like Neil Pert, and I kind of realized this when someone was like, "Yeah, there are better drummers than Neil Pert, but no, they they aren't as popular as Neil Pert. They're not as like Rush was a huge band." Rush was around when like prog music was actually in the mainstream, um, with bands like Jethro Tull, with bands like with like them. <laughs> so like prog rock was a little bit more popular. Um, hell, even like early Genesis was prog, and it was it was, it was kind of pop. It got some shine. Yes, got some shine. So it's like you had, it was it was more in the in the public realm, 
and then you had this amazing drummer. They put on great shows, and so like that's why you get everyone's like, "Oh, Neil Perk's awesome. Neil Perk's amazing," um, because they might not know about like the other drummers that have come along. They might not know about the Mike Portnoy's of, of the world that have come along, or even I mean, they're not proud, but like the Reverend, um, the Rev, yeah, they're just the Rev. Rest in peace, man. Um, that have come along, but I mean, in his own right, um, for his time, yeah, Neil Perk was very good. Now she's shaking his head. <laughs> I just, I, I, I'm a pretty, I'm a pretty whatever. big fan of Rush. I even like the early stuff before Neil Peart. Uh, Working Man was is my favorite. Um, it's probably my favorite Rush song. I didn't realize that Neil Peart wasn't on that, but they sound very different um, before Neil Peart. They sound very um, kind of heavy, actually. They sound almost like like Working Man in my opinion sounds like Black Sabbath. Like I thought it, initially, I thought they were from, I just thought they were from England. But yeah, like Working Man to me sounds like um, like some Black Sabbath music. Just like sounds like old metal. All right. Um, <laughs> uh, I kind of want to know a little more about uh, your distaste for Rush. Um, is it? What <laughs> is it really? It, it's really- I mean, not, not like like I'm not like why don't you like them? I like them, and I think they're the- no, <laughs> not, it's not like that. But like, it's to what me, do you it's- think? Like, doesn't make them, or what? What's what? It what makes them like not that interesting? At least, all right for me, I think it's the like what Ben was saying earlier about the the shredding guitar players. It's like they're you know, generalizing. It's like they do it because they can, and they're showing off. And so when I hear these prog rock bands doing these odd time signatures and weird, you know, things that are not normal for mainstream music, I get the idea of they're just showing off their abilities. And like, that's cool. Like, I know like you can do it, but for whatever reason, it bugs me. I don't, it's hard to explain and it's very stupid to hate it, but (laughs) I just can't stand it. It's like, they're just telling me like, Hey, yeah, we're awesome. Deal with it. Like, I don't know. It's really hard to put into words, but I can't stand it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, uh, brought up Rage Against the Machine earlier, and I'm not sure what you would, how you would categorize someone like Tom Morello as a guitar player, but I'll, the first one that, Mm -hmm. yeah, where you you just hear a whole lot of different things from him. Um, I don't know if it was him that I saw, like he played with a, like using a screwdriver or a power drill or something. Oh, that was, that was Motley Crue, wasn't it? And or Van Halen. Did he play with them? Well, no, but that's what they did. Oh, yeah, I've seen, so, Mar- I've seen Van Halen, Eddie Van Halen do that, yeah. I didn't know that Tom Morello did. Yeah. I mean, it wouldn't I feel go he, beyond he his, may have used, he used wouldn't something. Wouldn't put it past him. Because <laughs> I think wouldn't that's how, um, isn't that how Van, Eddie Van Halen got the sound at the end of the Running With The Devil solo? Like a, I think so. And the Floyd Rose pickup, which I just know there's a song that starts out with it, and they, they somebody played it. It was on the MTV oh, Video yeah. Awards for a while back, where that you see them doing it. Yes, yeah, from the, it was from one of the newer records. I believe it was one of the ones with Gary Sharon singing. <laughs> they didn't do too well, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, one I wanted to ask you about, um, uh, a band I wanted to ask you about. If uh, I don't know how much you guys know about Primus, a little, a little bit, yeah. uh, but with their bass player uh weird dude <laughs> yeah he kind of takes the front like he well yeah he's the he another bass player being the lead singer but he's blows my mind that he can play what he does and sing at the same yeah. time because his riffs aren't 
they're just they're weird. But standard. Dude. Yeah. Uh, awesome. One of the weird. first songs that I heard was uh, Jerry was a race car driver. Oh yeah. And I, I, I know I wasn't sure what like, like how how was this made? It's all like that too. Like how was this made? Anyone listening, like that opening riff is a bass. Yeah. So that's the first thing. That's the first part that blows your mind. Like that's a bass. <laughs> And like he's like, even though he's playing like the high end, he's still there's still kind of some low end. But he's tapping. Yeah. So it's that's a very guitar thing to do, mm-hmm. and he's doing it on the bass, and somehow singing at the same time. But and then he's still covering some of that low end too. Yeah. Um, and then when it gets to like that groove section, where like everyone just kind of comes in, like the guitar comes in the bass, and he distorts the bass a little bit, like it's yeah, it's like then he really gets that that look. I don't know. Like, <laughs> I, I, I can't. I can't. I can't speak to people and play like chords on a guitar without <laughs> screwing up. And this guy's doing this. Like. Yeah. Yeah. No, this is yeah, this is amazing. I mean, I always I always think back too to the um, behind the music Metallica, where he talked about auditioning for Metallica. Oh right. And they said that yeah, you're too good for us. You know? <laughs> <laughs> go ahead, you go, you do your own thing. I think he was talking about like playing Isley Brothers. <laughs> like, All right. Like, another level. Which I thought was kind of funny. Yeah. Now, um, getting to something a little less compli- a little less complicated sounding. Um, what do you think? Uh, uh, I-, I might just start asking all about different bands now that fall into this category <laughs> for the next mm-hmm. couple of minutes. But uh, someone like uh, Everclear, um, I thought their songs were really like kind of just straightforward. Three. Yeah. Is it three chords in a yeah. cloud of dust or <laughs> something like that? <laughs> it's, part, it's basically yeah. like, like uh, for people who watch football, just like a, a ground and pound, give it to the running back mm-hmm. three times, feel, <laughs> maybe get ten yards. They get so much crap, but I was a big Everclear fan when I was in like middle school. Yeah, well, I went. I did not. I, like this song. Oh, dude, I circled. I, I went to so many different record shops to try to find this album. Because nobody carried this one. They always carried so much for the Afterglow. Like, that's when they really were in it. So then trying to find this was hard. Which album was Everything to Everyone on? Was that also so much one? for okay. Afterglow. I did like that song. Um, that, that album had a lot. Like, I went back and listened to it not too long ago, and it, it's garbage now to me. But, like, so back, yeah, like the, I could use, I used to be able to listen to that album front to back. Yeah. You know, as I, when I was younger, but so much anymore <laughs> that's only I think that that one and um, I kind of like Father of Mine sort of but I really did like everything everyone like for the most part I listen to them for their covers they have, they have some really good covers um, yeah I just wanted to bring because it, it, it was one of those songs that like a lot of every clear songs are just pretty straightforward yeah uh, not a not a whole lot of um it may, I mean, it may not be interesting. I mean, but you have to be interested in their lyrics, I guess, to to really be into them. But if if you're uh, if it's for technical reasons, then there's a lot more out there, I guess you would say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they're not a bad band. I mean, like if you listen to them play other stuff, you can tell they're competent musicians. Maybe not the best writers, but they're competent musicians. Yeah. All right. Um, one band that I didn't know was a was a trio uh, and 
this was and this was a song I think that the lead singer wrote it when he was like 16 years old. Uh, Silverchair. Um, are you guys familiar with them? Not enough, bit. but I yeah. don't like them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're just going to move on. Um, hey, I like Tomorrow, and um, I liked when they changed and became like Coldplay Light, and um, had the um, Straight Line song. Funny enough, mm-hmm. I went. Is only a few weeks ago. Um, somehow, a coworker ended up with one of their albums. I don't remember which one, but he was like, oh, "I've never heard of them." And I was like, "How really?" So I had him look up songs on YouTube and like, I, uh, what "Was it whatever the Fat Boy song is?" Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow. Tomorrow. So I had him look that one up. <laughs> that song. Yeah, that's Fat all I remember. Song. That's all I remember about it. <laughs> and then there was the other one was like Anthem for the Year 2000, yeah. which I remember yeah. that being popular. But I thought it was a better song than it was. We oh, we watched the song. video and I was like. Ooh. Make it up to you. Yeah. Neither one of us liked anything we looked up on YouTube from them. And <laughs> he played a Paul Reed Smith. He did? Yeah, he played PRS, yeah. Well, I always thought he had a Gibson. That doesn't matter. Whatever. Okay, what about your familiarity with a ZZ Top? I thought it had... I, I feel like it had more people nope. in the band. <laughs> yeah, yeah. um, Build up that space, man. You know, it's funny. This, this is getting so nerdy. I watched like a... Uh, rig rug rundown of theirs mm-hmm. so the guitar tech has this equalizer that he sets in his rack that no matter what guitar he's playing it always sounds like a uh, Gibson like the equalizer is set that any guitar he plays on stage is going to get that exact same sound because you know they change the guitars like the fuzzy ones like it's all a show but he wants he's like I want every guitar to sound this way and he's got this weird like 80 EQ like 80 band EQ that makes everything sound exactly the same nice. so why change guitars it for the show because he's got that fuzzy one and then he's yeah and then they do the one that spins oh, yeah. around their belts and yeah like to me they're they're more performers than just musicians I mean they're still good musicians but it's like they're a show to me well didn't that change in the 80s though when they were trying to reinvent themselves I have no idea because I think like everything before um what album was Legs on? And uh, Give Me All Your Loving. Because that was their 80s revival. Like, but this was like... What was the name of that? Like, this was just straight up honky-tonk rock. Um, LaGrange. I just love... Yeah, like, this is LaGrange. Every time I... Every time I Eliminator. hear their songs, I just see them doing the, like, yeah. choreographed thing. And it's like, <laughs> it's so cheesy and there's not much to it. But it's like, it's exciting to watch because you're like, ah, these old dudes with, like, 20-foot beards are... Dancing, sort of. I can't think of the. Cause Eliminator was, is the album that had legs on it. Yeah, like Eliminator was like their comeback. Um, yeah, they started using drum machines. <laughs> oh, what was this the album that got redone though, with the drums? No. Yeah, there was like they recorded it with actual, real drums, and then like the record label was like, nah, let's replace the drums. I'd like to hear that actually. Uh, uh, my buddy, he, he's actually got the vinyl with the regular drums on it. Yeah, so yeah, this one, Eliminator, A Studio album. Um, yeah, their most successful release. They wanted to expand on the synthesizer sound of El Loco, which was, I think, the one that was previous. Oh, is that, is that, I think it's in, is that a synth too? What? Like the bass line? A little bit. Yeah. Okay. Um. <clears throat> so, um, if you had a preference, would you would you be in a like 
if you had a, to make a choice between being in a trio or have more people or less, I mean, you can be like the white stripes. Mm. <laughs> okay. No, I'm, thanks. I'm, no, we good. Yeah. nerves here, man. This is ridiculous. <laughs> getting nerves. Okay. So, I mean, is there a preference between, do you think like, do you have, would you have to make a lot of changes in your playing to be in a trio or quartet? Yes. No. I think I I know I would personally, um, just because I'm not I'm not I'm not a riff connoisseur. Like a lot of my stuff is very, um, very chord driven. So I'm, I mean I'm kind of like a John Mayer, even though John Mayer's a lot better than me because John Mayer does write a lot of nice riffs. And I mean his work on the with the John Mayer trio was very good. But I wouldn't be like that version of John Mayer. I'd be more like Room for Squares, heavier heavier things, John Mayer. Or maybe even like Continuum John Mayer, but not John Mayer Trio John Mayer. Um, so I think my playing would have to change a, a great deal. Like I'm not David Ryan Harris, who wasn't a power trio. Brandon Mortals was a power trio. And then everything else he's done after that was is very different. Like you can tell the, the distinct style difference of his playing. And Matt, you said no, because you, you just good like that. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I mean, it, it, it sounds arrogant, but like, you know, I wasn't necessarily in a trio, but I wasn't a band that. For most of the songs we played, granted they were cover songs, there was only three of us actually playing instruments, and I, I mean, I've got, I had a lot of compliments about it that it was, it sounded more than just three of us. Yeah, and I, so I thought we pulled it off very well. Yeah, Matt has a huge sound. I'll, I'll toot your horn for you. Matt has a huge sound. The first time I ever played with him, um, that was the first thing I thought when he was playing through. Was that a dual rectifier? That yeah, you played through. Yeah, he played a. Paul Reed Smith, which is a, a, a brand of guitar through a Mesa Boogie Door Rectifier, which is an amplifier. And I remember we played, the first thing I think we ever played at a practice was Smells Like Teen Spirit. And I'm playing out of like a small Marshall combo amp. And like Matt comes in and I'm just like, holy shit, that sounds big. <laughs> like it sounds <laughs> like there was like, it's just some feedback came in and then like he started playing. I was like, shit. All right. Right, don't need me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, well, that that'll do it for that discussion. <laughs> uh, so we're coming up on the end here. So I get my earworm of the week in. Um, now through all our shows, uh, I think I was the only one playing like the newish stuff were my earworms in and I didn't really have anything considered classic or older than two years. <laughs> uh, but I came across this album cause I think with this band, you only know like maybe one, the two songs by them. Uh, one was in a very popular movie, which did, it hasn't aged well to me. Um, I'm, I'm of course talking about uh, simple minds Ooh. and, um, this is from their album, A Sparkle in the Rain, which came out in 1983. And this was before. This is before. Don't freak. Don't you forget about me? I think. Yeah, it was before that. And um, it it has a I think they kind of stepped away from New Wave a little bit and they had more of an arena sound. So this song is called Up on the Catwalk. Um, it's not right said Fred. <laughs> That's what I started singing in my head. So I laughed. <laughs> up on the catwalk. So this is Up on the Catwalk by Simple Minds. Up on the catwalk. 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 Up on
All right, that is Up on the Catwalk by Simple Minds from the 1983 album Sparkle in the Rain. It came out before that movie from The Breakfast Club. Uh, if you wanted to, I don't know, look it up. <laughs> <laughs> we hope you might. I mean, you could check out our playlist, BTTYHT Earworms, which is on Spotify. And uh, all the songs that uh, pleasantly annoy us so far. <laughs> All right, so we've come to the end of the show. And uh, Matt, thank you for joining us. Yeah, oh, you're welcome. And uh, if you want people to find you um, in the social media realm, could they? And if they could, where? Uh, Instagram. And it's Matthew two underscores Vaughn. That's V A U G H A N. All right, cool. And uh, you can find our podcast uh, on iTunes, Podomatic, and now Satchel, Satchel Podcast Player. It is a free app on iTunes and uh, Google Play. You can also follow us on Instagram at by the time you hear this with the letter U instead of the word U because we're urban. Because we're urban. Yes. <laughs> which is code for black, but (laughs) (laughs) do you think people can tell that we are? I I don't know. I don't know. I have, I have non-regional diction. So yeah, I'm not sure if they know. Well, they know now (laughs) it took 14 episodes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You could follow us on, uh, on Facebook at facebook.com slash by the time you hear this. Email us, uh, show ideas, comments, um, or whatever at by the time you hear this, that's with the letter U, the urban version, at gmail.com. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, so that's going to do it for the show. Um, we, oh, well, we have to end the show with a song, course, as always. Of so, um, any suggestions? It has to be the power up. trio. Cue the brand new immortals. We didn't play. We didn't uh, really talk about them very much. Brand new immortals. Uh, we may be the only three people who know who they are. Well, there may be like two other people that we know. I <laughs> <laughs> may also have heard the brand yeah. new immortals. Um, what do you think? Uh, I would say go with their single. Go with um, which was the single? And now, now I'm drawing a blank here. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm not sure which one was the single. List off the songs real quick. This is so embarrassing. Uh, well, re- Reasons, Reasons Why, why has Reasons the most why. plays. That's so it. we'll That's do that. All right. Reasons Why by Atlanta's own Brand New Immortals. And thank you guys for listening.